The host of this show, Max Naist, lived in addiction for years and made lots of destructive choices, which resulted in losing friends, family, and his career. After being in jail for the fourth time, he knew he needed to make some big changes. Now, sober for 17 years, he shares the steps he took, which led to recovery and got his life back. Welcome to Fearless Happiness. 19.7 million American adults have battled a substance use disorder. 38% of adults have battled an illicit drug use disorder. But no matter what the struggle, no matter the challenge, you can overcome anything and become successful. Max and his guests share experience, strength, hope, and faith. If it's PTSD or military-related, trauma, physical, verbal, sexual addiction, alcoholism, you can accomplish your dreams. And with this show, we help others be fearless in their pursuit of happiness. This is Fearless Happiness, and this is Max Naist. Thank you for joining us here on the Fearless Happiness podcast. I have a special guest. See, to me, but all my guests are special, Lisa. So um, you guys rock. I mean, I've been blessed to have some amazing guests like yourself. So what I like to do before we get started or when we get started is before I butcher your name, I'm going to let you introduce yourself and like what you do and who you are to our audience so they get to know you better. So take it away, Lisa. Thank you. Thanks so much, Max. Such a pleasure being here. Really excited. And, you know, that we and I had good conversation ahead of time. So I already feel like we're in the energy and the juice of the time together. Right. And my, uh, you know, my background is an interesting background, Max. I, I left federal law enforcement to open my business and that intersection in business is what brought you and I together. Can you tell the audience exactly like what you did in federal law, law enforcement so they get a better idea and then let them know a little bit about your business before we get started? Like what you do? Sure, absolutely. Yeah, happy to. So uh, federal law enforcement was, I started off on the piers in New York in the United States Customs Service. And so back then there, you and I were talking about tech. And back then when you applied for jobs, there was no computer. So I went to the library and I looked up all sorts of jobs in these little file index <laughs> pieces of paper. And I one said specializes in international trade and travel. And I thought, ooh, that sounds exciting. And then I got assigned to the rat infested peers of New York which was not exactly, I thought I was going to be one of Charlie's angels. And instead, you know, I got, I got a very, very different experience. Started off there and I worked in, uh, in uh, drug interdiction, money laundering investigations, some commercial fraud, did some work in at the airport as well, which is oftentimes how people see U.S. Customs. And then post 9-11, we became part of the Department of Homeland Security. And by then I had been in supervision for a while and had just gotten a job at the, as a, um, an area director. And my job was canceled. Things were in turmoil with the, the country. Homeland Security, my agency was gobbled up and compartmentalized. And I actually was sent on a special assignment to teach and create some curriculum for the first program in the Department of Homeland Security for leaders. I had been involved in leadership training, leadership development. And so this was just a natural 
transition for me to move into that and then went to Dallas, Texas to, to teach that curriculum to the newly formed leaders within the Department of Homeland Security and uh, transitioned into my business because I had been dating somebody at the time and we'd see each other every three weeks and he proposed. I thought I was going to keep living in Dallas, Texas, teaching. He'd stay in in Riverside, California. Friends of mine said, usually people who get married live in the same household. So (laughs) thought that that might be a good idea to do. And so I put in my two weeks notice. The agency was really surprised. And I eventually ended up opening up my leadership training company and went into coaching, consulting, and uh, training in organizations Uh, internationally in the United States and uh, doing speaking at associations over the last 16 years. Wow. So you've been doing this for quite a while. So you went from law and it's, I always like to, uh, like a lot of my friends now are, you know, law enforcement, police officers or firemen. And, um, and it's funny. And a lot of them know my history, right? So I was like, I always tease them. I said, so when did you ever think you'd be friends with, you know, an ex-drug addict, felon and blah, blah, blah. And they just start laughing. Um, But it's so awesome how like things change for us as human beings, right? Like we might think, like you said, you thought maybe that law enforcement was going to be your career for the rest of your life. And and it led you into what you're doing now and and leading people, teaching people how and companies I take it correct to leadership skills. And I saw the post about when you spoke at the apex executives flying Friday, correct? And um, yes, yeah, uh, no, uh, um, at apex live, but similar. Oh, yeah. Yeah. The apex that's right. Apex live. Well, yeah. that's the live one they just had, right? Not the one in February, but the right. one. Right. Right. And, you know, people were talking about you and I said, I got to get Lisa on my podcast. So um, <laughs> here she is, everybody. Uh, Thank you. You know what I mean? And this is why, like I tell people, like you can overcome anything, right? It doesn't matter what's where you came from or what your beginnings were, right? Like if you do, if if you definitely want to make change, right? And kind of like what Gandhi says, if you want to be the change in the world, you know, if you want to see change in the world, be that change, basically kind of paraphrasing. And, um, you know, when I've learned in my 18 years of, you know, being sober in the last 18 months of being part of Apex is that. Like the work is constant, right? I used to think early on, like I would reach a year sober. Okay. Then I can cruise. Then I would get reminded, no, I cannot sit on my butt. You know, it's just like apex, right? We, we keep growing and learning in our business. And, you know, just when you think you have something figured out, you know, as, as Ryan says, the force of average pops up and you're like, wait a minute, that wasn't cool. Cause I didn't want, you know, I don't understand that. Like you and I were talking about technology, right? And you know, when I got involved in this, I didn't, I had no, no clue, like what a podcast was, um, what a mastermind was. It was kind of almost like my early recovery where I had, I had no idea what a meeting was. I didn't know what 12 steps were. I didn't know what being sober meant. And, um, you know, along that journey, I, I think, the universe, whatever you want to call it, puts people in your life for a reason. And, and it just, for me, as I was like up at five o'clock this morning, thinking about this journey and, you know, thinking about interviewing you and, and just everything that's happened, like in a flash, you know, 18 years, like, wow, you know, it could have easily went the other way if I just decided to give up. Right. Because there was part of me that when I was going through this process that said, okay, three hots and a cot I can do. 
right? That's the easy way out. Um, going to prison would have been like, I'm getting used to this, you know, like that's the mindset. And, but then some things, you know, either something happened or something, or some person was placed in my life to make me think like, okay, there's something different. So like tell the audience, like on this journey from being a law enforcement officer to, you know, cause 16 years, that's a long time. Tell the, tell the audience about some of the challenges you faced, right. And, and becoming your, uh, and a business owner and this, you know, the owner of your own company and, and what it was like, even as a law enforcement officer, like you said, in New York, I'm sure there was, you got some crazy stories to tell. Oh, I do. And I just have to say happy anniversary. Like what an honor to be here on your 18th anniversary and just, Thank you. just how great that is. And, and, you know, you said something early on that I think is so important, especially in my law enforcement journey. One of the things that I learned and perhaps from my childhood is that, you know, every saint was once a sinner. And it's just a saying that I carry with me because I grew up in a household where domestic violence was what made us so different. My sister and I growing up in our neighborhood because everybody else appeared to have the white picket fence and the perfect house. And my husband, my, um, my sister and I, you know, were, had a very tumultuous childhood. My mom loved us tremendously. And um, it was, it was painful. You know, they were just, so, it was just painful in, in that experience. And yet at the same time, I have such grace and mercy for the walk that my dad made. And um, the unfortunate part is, you know, his, his times, um, I don't know that he did the right thing, you know, at the end of his life, you don't know that he ever came to the awarenesses that some people come to, you know, or my uncle or the many people in my family who um, fought addiction and created uh, internal angst. And yet I believe so much in that possibility, you know, there's always, always one of my heart virtues is mercy. And so when I think about my own challenges, it's the part that I hold on to is that even when they're seemingly caused by another, that no person as a small child ever wishes that there's going to be pain in their life. Like no one, no, not the purity of a soul ever hopes that things aren't going to work out for them. And, and yet I witnessed a lot in law enforcement and you're right. And like one of the stories that comes to me is that in 19, I remember in, in, you know, 1994 going to the piers and there not being a woman's restroom and thinking like, you know, like that just to me sounds sort of crazy, you know, that here, here I'm at. And I, I had a special assignment and the special assignment was with NYPD and it was for presidential detail. And I'm the officer that's, I'm the, I'm the federal officer and there's these NYPD officers. And so I'm the person who has the, um, you know, the authority, the rank, if you will, you know, that, that I, and um, I had to go to the bathroom. Sounds crazy, right? Like go to the bathroom, really? Like, you know, what would you have to do that for? And, um, and the guys told me, you know, go downstairs. We were on a, we were on a boat. Uh, it was with a Marine unit and they said, go downstairs and there's a bucket and 
go to the bathroom and, and toss it overboard. And I was like, okay, so I have two choices. I can fight with these guys and I can pull rank, right? Which isn't going to get me anywhere. I'm, I'm like on this boat with them. Um, or I can just suck it up and do it and be like, you know, you're not like, you're not going to ruffle my feathers, if you will. And so there's those moments I look at in everyone's life where they're faced with something, some sort of challenge, and there's multiple choices, right? There's probably more than just those two choices. And much like you said, you know, something was like, well, I could go and I could do this, you know, in your own life where I can do this. And so we always are stand at, we stand at crossroads over and over and over again. And for me, what was interesting in that moment was I chose to do the bucket and the guys never for the rest of the week had me do that again. So it was sort of like a test, sort of like approving myself. And, you know, I, it's not an, it's not a story I think about often, but it's just one of those moments where it's like, you know, gosh, you know, did it really have to be that way? Did you have to create that angst for someone else? And there's so many of those moments, even in my business where, you know, I've had people steal, I've had people, you know, lie, I've had people cheat, I've had people do things to try to ruin me. And yet at the same time, I believe so much in mercy and justice and protection. And when I lead with mercy rather than justice, things are just so much more peaceful, Max. Uh, And I believe everyone stands at that crossroads, you know, millions of times in their life. I can't tell you, Lisa, how much I agree with you on that, right? Because like I used to think about it, right? When someone did me wrong, right? And then the first thing to my head would be like, I'm going to get them back. But luckily, you know, but luckily I had mentors in in my recovery, you know, in my recovery community, you know, that showed me mercy, that showed me forgiveness when I was a jerk, you know, or for instance, like I'll share a quick story. So when I was going through this process of whether I was going to go to prison or go to a treatment, whatever, slash sober living, I had the same judge through this whole time, right? Even when I was in my addiction, like, you know, it started wow. off, it started off with the, the basic, the most minimum, right? I couldn't even do that. Then but that's it was, not uh, common. Max, right. that is not common to have the same judge. Like, oh, that's yeah. just really interesting. Right. And then, so um, then he gave I'm me. I'm sorry. This, I'm sorry to interrupt. No, that's okay. And, and, you know, and then what happened is he gives me this prop 36, which is what like drug court is now right? A similar go for so many, if you mess up, you're going to go back to jail for a day or two, you know, but I, I I didn't even do that. Right. I went on the run and I remember the last time I'm in jail and I'm sitting in front of him and he's just like, he looks at me like you've done nothing. I asked of you like, so, uh, I'll talk to you later, you know, like I'll see you next, like he's so frustrated. And then when we finally started having dialogue and I remember the judge going, you know, you're not going to the streets because you've done nothing that I've asked. So there's two ways you get out of here. Right. You I find you a place or you go to prison. Those are your two choices. And I fought it, you know, till he kept me in there. And long story short, I I do this program he gives me. I do relapse like four times in this place that I'm at, right? And they save my butt every time. I say God saved my butt every time because there was just moments where I knew, especially the last one was divine intervention. So fast forward three years, I'm sober. I'm working in my first treatment facility as a driver and as a house manager. So I go to this court in Westminster here in California. And I'm like, man, I've been here before, you know? So I, so while we're waiting for this client, I'm going to go roam the hallways. I'm roaming the hallways and I look up. So the judge, he was a commissioner is now a judge. 
So our court liaison, and I, like, I love sharing this with the audience and with my guests because it's just, I can't even explain, you know, like the feelings that go behind this. But anyway, I, I, I go, hey, Bonnie, can I go talk to this guy? I go, I'm three years sober. I've paid all my fines. I want to thank him. And she looks at me like, what? I go, yeah, that's the judge that sent me, you know, sentenced me to uh, a year of sober living and treatment. She goes, yeah, I know him very well. So we go in the court and, and there he is name is judge larson i remember looking at him and she goes up and talks to him they're like old buddies you know they're up there laughing and chatting and he goes hey young man i hear you want to um you know address the court and i said yes sir so i go up to the podium i said your honor I said you're not going to remember me but three years ago you sent me to a treatment slash sober living facility and i stand here in front of you with three years sober if my kids were here they would run up to you and give you a hug for giving their dad back. So I want to thank you in front of everybody for helping me get and stay sober. And you could hear a pin drop and he's like, wow, he goes, no one's ever thanked me before. He goes, I've probably sent 5,000 guys to prison since then. And I said, well, thank you for, for giving me that third chance. You know, and I'd find out later that this judge didn't, he rarely gave second chances if you made him mad. So this third one, you know, I ran with it. I'd love to go back and see, even if he's retired and say, hey, look, I'm 18 years sober now, your honor. Thank you so much. And I heard somebody say the other day, they were sharing their story and they said, I thank God for his unrelenting mercy and yeah. his unrelenting grace, yeah. right? So I think like when you just said that, it just struck me like, how can I get mad at someone? How can I think about getting even, right? When so many people have shown me that grace, shown me that forgiveness, yep. you know? So I, I'm, I'm like the opposite of my wife. Sometimes she's like, you know, like she'll get, oh, I gotta get, you know? And I'm like, Hey, just God will get them. Just let him handle it, you know, or let the universe handle it. She's like, you're too mellow for me sometimes. And I go, well, I've just learned like getting mad is only affecting me and it's not affecting that other person. So I'm just going to pray for him and right. And, and look today, That's I get it. To, you know, I get to have a wonderful guest like you, because I'm sure, you know, when you became law enforcement, I'm sure there was not a lot of chivalry going on back when you first started, right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, not a well, lot of gentlemen. You, I've seen it, you know, where I've witnessed it. Where like, man, these guys are jerks to these uh, female officers sometimes, you know. So what I'll say is, it's like anything else in in life, Max. Like it's like, and it's like anything else in life. There were guys that did their best to try to make me cry every day. Like there were guys that really like, you know, needled me. And there were guys that held the door and didn't want to see me like get on the, on the forklift or lift the boxes. And I'm like, Hey, like, this is my job. Like, you know, like right. I, I get paid to like sift through cargo and, and drive the forklift and, and lift these heavy boxes. Like that's what I do. And yet at the same time, you know, they had such a, they were just such gentlemen that they, you know, they just didn't see, they didn't see that as a place for women, but they did it from a place of deep respect and love. Right. And so I look at it as in life, you know, you, you find, you find everything in life, you know, there's, there's people who see the world as, as, um, you know, through really, really dusty glasses and those who see the world through rose colored glasses and, you know, and, and everything in between. And so I, I had wonderful men that I worked with and, um, officers, I was really proud to serve with. And of course you have some stinkers in there. <laughs> right. That's just, that's what makes the world goes around, right? You gotta have, you gotta right. have some stinkers yeah. just to keep you on your toes. <laughs> 
right? <laughs> so as you neared the end of your, you know, your law enforcement career, what were some of the challenges you overcame? Because I love to tell, you know, for my guests to tell the audiences, not only how good you're doing, but like the challenges you overcame to become a business owner and go from one career to the next, right? Because we know that in, in becoming a business owner, you know, as I'm learning, there's more to it than just saying, yeah, I own a business, <laughs> right? <laughs> like yeah. I do this. Yeah. Um, and um, so what were some of the challenges that you could tell the audiences that the audience that you uh, encountered on your path to becoming a business owner? I, you know, I would say that the biggest challenge truly was me. You know, I was my, I am today, you know, my biggest challenge in business. And I say that because I never wanted to open a business. I wasn't somebody who, you know, was looking at leaving law enforcement. I thought I would stay in law enforcement for forever. I liked the work. I liked the people I worked with. You know, there were things that were that didn't that didn't settle with me and I was very much a, a rule breaker and very much um, somebody who would challenge the status quo and so that made it harder. However, the the actual nobility that I saw in the in in the you know in the position was one that I, I was very proud and um, when I made the decision to leave and looked I had been recruited by, by other law enforcement agency I'd been you know looking at other avenues and opening a business was one that I said I'm gonna do this because it's going to give me the freedom the fun the flexibility to do the things that I want and much like you said you know those are when you own a business it's the greatest personal development challenge you can imagine because when Absolutely. you're especially being in training and coaching I'm not selling a widget I'm not selling a pen <laughs> I'm selling my knowledge and my wisdom and so I've got to put a value on that and nobody can pay me what I'm worth what I'm actually worth the value I am priceless and yet you've got to you've got to create a price or you know, an amount for someone to give you in exchange for your knowledge, your wisdom, your gifts, your abilities. It's, it's not like selling, you know, a pen or a, a bottle of water or something tangible, a t-shirt, you know, right. it's, it's you're, you're selling yourself. And that's, that creates a lot of angst, a lot of, you know, for me, I don't say it, if, maybe not for everybody, but most people that I meet, yes. And for me, and so there was, the, there was a lot of different challenges. There was a challenge of being somebody who had a degree in criminal justice and a master's in human resources and training and development and never took a business class. So how in the heck am I going to do this? There was the challenge of being 3,000 miles away from my closest friend or family member and not knowing a soul. Like, who am I going to sell to? There was the challenge of... Um, not having a, an idea of what it actually took to be successful in business because my dad was a laborer. My mom was a nurse. Nobody in my business, nobody in my family owned a business, ran a business, knew anything about business. And so that was, you know, was a challenge. There was nobody, you know, nobody that I could, could ask a question. Um, my parents were so worried that I was leaving a steady paycheck to no paycheck that, which is often the case in the beginning of business that people don't talk about. And, and they were so worried that I wasn't going to be able to eat. And if things didn't work out well in my marriage, like what would happen to me if I, you know, by leaving my, my steady job. And so there were just challenge upon challenge. And then, you know, you'd get the client and it was like, 
Am I the, the, the challenge of, of the voices in my head? Am I smart enough? You know, am I really able to do this? Um, is this sustainable? Sure, I got this client and this client and this client, but okay, maybe it'll all go away next year. And then it was the, the, you know, well, what if they really find out that I don't really, that I've never been in business? What if they find out this about me? What if they find out that about me? And then, you know, just even in my own family background, you know, what if they find out that, you know, what if they find out that, you know, the things that my dad has done, the things that my, my uncle has done, the things that, you know, heck, the things that I've done, you know, that weren't so pretty. And it was just a constant, like business is just a constant upheaval of the internal thoughts and ideas of who you are as a person, of who I am, of who I was. And um, it never stopped. Like it's just constant. Right. And it's, you know, that's, and it's a crazy ride. Like you said, like I'm learning all that, right. Because I come, or at least my uncles and everybody, you know, in my family and all the old school, you go to a job, you put in 30 years and then you retire. Right. Yeah. So when I said I was going to create my own business at 50 or whatever it was, I'm 53 now. Like, I know I'm getting looks like you're too old for that. Or you, you know what I mean? You don't even, you took psychology classes, you're a drug counselor. And how are you going to do that? And, but you're so (laughs) that roller coaster ride. Like some days we have those highs, right? We're like, I got this. I can do this. That's right. You you wake up one day and you might've gotten out of bed on the wrong foot or whatever. And you're like, Oh my God, this is it. I got to quit. I can't do this anymore. That roller coaster ride. But I, I kind of liken it to my, my recovery. It almost parallels, right? Like my recovery's personal development in a sense. Right. And then my entrepreneurship or being a drug counselor and and helping people. Cause I'm like you, like when people said, you're going to have to sell yourself. You know, of course, I'm like, how am I supposed to do that? Like, I didn't have too high thoughts of myself for a long time. You know, it took years and for, you know, because I lived in that guilt and that shame because of my, what I did to my children and my family. Right. And, and until someone just said, stop, you've already, you know, you make living amends every day. You stay, you know, that you don't put a drink or a drug in your system. Or my sponsor would tell me, he goes, forgive yourself you know, God already has. So like, why are you living in the past? Right. So, you know, but like you said, like this personal, this entrepreneurial route that we have chosen, well, you've already, you've been in it for a while, like that I've chosen. It's like, you want to talk about pushing yourself, right? Like you have to, like, I have no one, like something goes south. I can't go, you know what? This is your fault, Lisa. You made me do this. You just look at me like, what? You know what I mean? I'd have to, I have to look at the guy in the mirror and go, okay, let's, how do I correct my course correct? And right. And hearing you share, cause you know, um, about your career in, in the, in the law enforcement and, and then becoming a business owner, right? Like, you and I are the same. We're in the sense, it's like, okay, how are we going to make this happen? Because I know yep. if you, I am hearing it from you, the chatter in the head, right? That, and that's why I, I created my coaching and consulting business, right? Is to help people overcome those challenges. Because like Chris eloquently put it to me, he's like, dude, you've been in the trenches for 18 years. You're more than qualified, you know, to do this. Yeah. Now it's 18 years. Um, you know, and I, it's been a work in progress to get rid of that, that voice that 
it gets so loud sometimes. And, and that's why I'm grateful that you be, you decided to come and, and be a guest on my podcast because I get to learn from you like what this journey looks like. Like I kind of, I don't want to anticipate because, you know, it usually doesn't go that way when you think, okay, it's going to go this way. Cause Lisa said, you know, it could, it's different for everybody, but I get to learn. Right. Cause I hear it from what you're sharing is it's that don't quit, don't stop attitude. And you know, to, to believe in yourself and, um, to keep moving forward because this is something that you wanted to do. So, um, yeah, let the audience know, uh, if you would, um, like some of the, so some of the highlights so far of being, you know, have overcoming the challenge and now being your, uh, own, uh, a business owner for the last 16 years. Yeah. You know, it, it's, um, it's been that roller coaster ride where there have been amazing highs and um, truly on my on my knees lows, you know, with lots and lots of tears. And what I've learned is that every low has brought something better, has brought something more incredible. And so I've now had the 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 true honor and just, you know, just truly humbling to have coached or trained um, over a hundred thousand leaders all over the globe. And I've got seven books and they are out of the, out of the books that I've written, their uh, turn possibilities is a number one bestseller in five countries. So it it's, you know, that, that in of itself is humbling. I've, I was recognized in 2017 by the International Association um, of uh, 2007 for the International for the National Association of Female Executives for their Rising Star Award, and then in 2017 as one of the top 100 women making a difference in the world. And so, you know, just the recognitions have come. I've had so many awards that have been both national and global from the White House, from the Small Business Administration in the United States, from, from just international societies. And it, it's, it's humbling. It's really humbling because this is something where I did not think ever that I would be a business owner. And there's no part of my family's background, my story. If you look at my story as a kid, you know, I should have been a statistic, not a success. I should have been, you know, I, I should have failed is what really should have happened. And by the grace of God, I get to stand here and say, you know, the, this, these are all of the, just the accomplishments that I've had are, are, it's, it's, it's humbling. It's really, really humbling. And that doesn't mean that there aren't the days when I cried my eyes out owning this business or that I didn't, um, like I say, get on my hands and knees. It's, it's, it's the, it's both. And, you know, the, the, right. the roller coaster has the highs where I feel unstoppable. It has the lows where I feel like I should just quit and just throw it in and, um, and right back up, there we go. And I, I look at it as what's made the journey more interesting and fun is having people to celebrate with you and having people to walk the journey with you during those lows and during those highs. When I when my book made bestseller, it wasn't so exciting to me. What was exciting was that I had people to celebrate it with. 
when I got the award, I was sitting next to my best friend who was cheering me on for being selected as one of the top 100 women in the world that were making a difference. It wasn't, it wasn't the award itself. It's the, it's the understanding of the lives that are impacted and the people that I have to celebrate it with. See, that's, excuse me. That's what I want to tell my, listen to what Lisa just said, everybody, because you could be the most successful person on this earth, but if you don't have that support system or those people in your life that are your biggest cheerleaders, it's really not that fun then, you know, like, like, you know, and I'm sure you've met people like that where they make a lot of money, but they're the most unhappy people because they don't have people to celebrate with them. Right. And, and I guess I'm yeah. experiencing that on this journey too. Like there's mornings I get up Lisa and I'm just like, man, man, I want to, do, I'm done, man. I'm tired. You know, I'm 53. I should be retiring, not getting just started. You know, I tell myself, Hey, like, I'm 52. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, we don't look like it. So, Hey, everybody see, we like, we age well. <laughs> um, and, uh, but you know, hearing you share, uh, share about that's so important. I think for the audience to know is that how do we get through our challenges, right? You shared it. Like, basically, you've had these people in your life, like your husband, your best friend, your every, you know, the people that are closest to you that lift you up when you're down, right? And say, keep going. And that's the thing I find in common with my guests, you know, and I'm finding out about myself is that when I think about it, I'm not doing this alone, right? I have so many people. I have you now, you know, like cheering me on from the background. Yeah. Like you can do this. I like Chris Whitehead, Ryan Stuman, Danny Galvez, you know, Drewby, Thomas. Uh, you know, I've made a lot of friends, you know, since that live uh, Apex Live I went to in February that are executives that are always cheering me on. Like, dude, you can do this. You know, you've got this. And um you know, and today has been nothing short of just amazing. When I think about like 18 years ago, where was I sitting? You know what I mean? Like, you know, I was like in a sober living home. I just got high and I might go to prison because now they're pissed off. But, you know, I told you divine intervention, you know, I'm not going to share it. I'll share it with you later. But, you know, something happened that day where, something bigger than me said, Nope, you're not done yet. You're going to get sober and you're going to stay sober. Little did I know. And you know, would it lead to, to talking to people like yourself about your journey as an entrepreneur, you know, your life's journey. And um, <clears throat> so that's why I, I, when I work with clients, you know, and it's, it's a little different, right? Because, and I only say this because one, they're coming off drugs and two, I have difficulties with millennials sometimes, you know, if you know what I mean, like my kids are millennials and sometimes they drive me nuts, but like, I try to tell them that you got such potential to be more than what you're doing now. I'm not going to tell you this is going to happen overnight, but just believe in yourself, right? Believe that I believe in you. And they just give me this crazy wild out look like, what is this guy talking about? But, um, you know, if but, I didn't believe, but that, you know what? I, go ahead. Oh, Sorry. No, go ahead. Max, but I think this 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 comes up to what you talked about about being like being in your 50s. Like one of the things that I learned is that when I was in my 20s, like when something happened, I thought the world was over. Like when something <laughs> happened, it felt so big. You know, now that I'm in my 50s, I'm like, eh, you know, 
Okay. So <laughs> right. that didn't work out. All right. So that cost me 20 grand. Well, I guess we'll somehow God will may find a way to make it right. And I guess it'll somehow the money will come back to me and it'll come back to me greater. I don't know, but it's, there's not the same, like, I think one of the things, you know, when it's not specifically the millennial, it's like when you're younger, things seem like the end of the world or like, like you, your view is so limited to, you don't have as much experience as things working out in your favor. And I think you're right. Absolutely. Cause when I was in my twenties, like they say, if hindsight's 2020, 20, right. If I knew now what I, you know, then like, you're right, it could be different. And you're right. Our view is very small because we don't have that life experience. So I apologize yeah. to you millennials, you know, we'll keep trying to teach you that there's more beyond just what's happening today. <laughs> um, but you're, you're absolutely correct. And, and and that's why I started this podcast is it's for anybody, you know, and it's for people that are looking to say like, okay, I'm going through this. Okay. I'm going to go on Max's podcast and figure out how Lisa overcame her challenges or whoever the guest may be at the time. Right. Like last, uh, I released Mark Jennison, right. And his outlook or his view of, of recovery is different than mine. Right. But that's okay. And that's what makes the world go around because we're all different. Yeah. We're all coming together for, you know, like us, at least in our network, right, is to help each other move to yep. the next level, right? And I'm so grateful for that, right? If I would have kept that narrow, like you said, like the horse blinders, we probably wouldn't be sitting here talking today. And um, exactly, you know, yeah. And, um, and I guess you're right with age comes experience and, and the different views of the world that we get to go through and see, you know, whether it's on the news or amongst our network or, or whatever, or on Facebook, you know, like we got so much going on nowadays, but, um, yeah. you know, I really appreciate, yeah. you know, coming and being a guest and sharing some of your experiences. Um, like on my bad on, on that, not, you know, bringing up that you are a best-selling author. Um, so it's an honor for me as a fellow author to sit with a fellow author. And cause I remember, when I started writing my book, like 10 years ago, when I first met Chris, matter of fact, and I, him and I sat and got my outline done. And then I would just, I was the great procrastinator, right? There was always more things. And I'm sure you've experienced this, you know, as you, yeah. you know, in your lifetime where, you know, oh yeah, I'll get to it later. Right. But you're telling everybody, yeah, this is very important. But in the background, you're like, I can't do that. I can't do that. But, you know, finally to get a book out, and, and be, and, and get to interview fellow authors that have written in your case, seven books. So folks, you know, look up Lisa. I'm sure she's on Amazon. I'm sure, you know, you can find her books, but I'm going to let her tell you um, about her seven books kind of briefly. Like the last one, what was it called? Uh, that made you a best-selling author. What was the name of the book? Oh, the last, the last one that I was a best-selling author was connection, the new currency. So there's a couple oh. of them that I've been, that I've been, you know, that have been on the bestseller list. But oh, so she's got Turn Possibilities was in, that one was in several countries and they don't even have to check out the books. They can go on my website and on my website, um, one, there's a, a thing called the, my, a thing, listen to me. Um, there is a blueprint. It's an influential leadership blueprint and it's a step-by-step -step blueprint. It's really easy. And I, I you know, I created this because, I have so many people who go like, well, 
how do I do this? How do I do this? How do I be an influential leader? How do, how do right. I? And so this is a simple blueprint. It walks you through it step by step. There's case studies on there for three case studies with clients of mine and, uh, you know, nothing for you to buy, just, uh, you know, for you to have as a gift. And it's at my website is upsidethinking.com, U-P-S-I-D-E and the word thinking.com. And that influential leadership blueprint is on there and happy to send anything your way uh, as a gift from me. Oh, I would love to, to get some of that. I'm going to probably get your, I'm going to ask you after this, which one you would recommend I read first of your books. So I love to ask my guests a couple questions before we part ways. Right. And, uh, I wrote a book, it's called fearless happiness. Um, and I put a Y in the happiness for a reason. We'll start with the fearless. So to let the audience know, like I always ask my guests, what does fearless look like to you? Or what does that mean to you? And how does that show up in your life on a daily basis? Well, fearless to me is to continue moving forward and not let something get in your way. That's what being fearless is all about. And I, you know, I, I look at fearless happiness as regardless of the obstacles, there's a commitment, a greater commitment, a greater understanding that choosing to be happy, be happy now. It's a choice. I, that's, that's what resonates for me. And for me, it's, it's ensuring that regardless of what happens, no matter what shows up, no matter how bad it, it seems in the moment that I don't let that derail me. Right. And that's what I was going to ask you happiness with that. Why? Right. I put that there for a reason. Um, because as you know, you just said it, that happiness comes from within, right? So and I'm sure you'll agree. Like I always tell the audience, you know, like my wife can't make me happy. Lisa can't make me happy. All the money in the world can't make me happy. I need to find what makes me happy. And, you know, for me, it's been waking up for the last 18 years and not putting a drug and you know what I mean? It sounds simple or a drink in my system. Uh, happiness is being a grandfather. Happiness is being a husband. And happiness for me, even though we just talked about the challenges, being an entrepreneur and learning how to do this thing called business and life, right? So like happiness, I don't know, like today's just a strange day in a good way for me, right? Like everything's going well. Like sometimes I got to pinch myself, if you know what I mean. Um, but, uh, you know, happiness is, is being on a podcast with, with Lisa and, uh, talking about her story and getting to know her better and, and hearing about, you know, her life. Um, give the audience maybe some other examples of what happiness looks like for you and how that shows up. Well, I just appreciate what you said because happiness for me years ago, I thought happiness was doing something or being somewhere or, you know, then the next thing to, to accomplish and happiness is, is an internal game. And, the, the one that I win at because it's the simple things. Happiness for me is taking a walk with my husband early in the morning. Happiness for me is getting to sit down at home, not in a fancy restaurant, but at home and have a, a simple meal. Happiness is, is understanding that you know, everything that I I do gets to come from a place of personal choice. 
And yeah. regardless of the challenges, regardless of, of some of the challenges that come up with family members, with health or, or with, with things that happen that are surprises in the business, that level of happiness is one where I'm also every interaction that I have, even when something is bad, I'm putting fingerprints on someone. And so, you know, that there just are countless th- little things big things. They all make me happy. I, I, I've learned to find happiness in the challenges and go, okay, what's mine to learn here? What's mine? What's, what's here for me? There must be some gift in this where I used to bemoan it before I would, you know, I, I, I quite frankly, I don't know that I was that much of a nice person or a fun person to be around, you know, when I was in my twenties at all. And I could pick apart things and find lots of things that were n- not right with the world. And it, I wasn't that happy. And I learned that it's, it's me. It's my choices. Absolutely. And that's, you hit that on the nail because my, I would say mid twenties up until probably early thirties is when my active addiction was the worst. Right. And there was nothing that was making me happy. Right. I was, I couldn't make myself happy. And but now it's funny because sometimes like when we have a family gathering, you know, I'll sit in my chair and I just kind of watch everybody. Right. And I'm, I'm happy, but sometimes they think, well, God, you're not so sociable. <laughs> you know, my wife will go, everybody thinks I said, honey, that's not it. I go, if I, I get in such a deep place of gratitude and happiness when I'm seeing my family, you know, we're all eating together or we're having Thanksgiving together in my home. Right. Because I told you like 18 years ago, if I would have told you I had a home, I would have said, Lisa, I don't know what you're drinking, but you need to pass it my way or whatever the case may be, because. Right. And it's what you said resonates with me. Also, it's it's not just the big things. It's all the little things that add up over time where you can just sit back and go, wow, that's that's pretty cool. Right. Like I'm not destroying lives today, at least in my case, I'm actually adding value now, which is. It's huge for me. And yeah, you know, exactly. You know what I mean? And, and like I said, you know, back in my active, I mean, it got so bad. We're like, God rest my brother's soul. But when we were going to jail, like, Oh, do you have a brother? Yeah. Oh, you just missed him. You just caught the bus to the prison. You know, I'm like, you know, you would think those moments you would be like, this is getting old. I got to make a change, but you know, it all comes when it's supposed to come and it all happens at exactly the right time just like our interview. And, you know, I appreciate you being a guest and coming on and, and spending some time with me in the audience. So I want to ask you um, if the audience, if there's anybody listening that says, I want to reach out to Lisa, let them know how they can get a hold of you, Lisa. And to work with you. Best or whatever. way to get upside thinking. That's the best way to find me. You know, uh, U-P-S-I-D-E and the word thinking, T-H-I-N-K-I-N-G.com. And best way to find me there. I'm on social. And so Facebook and LinkedIn with upside thinking is my home. Awesome. Any last thoughts for the audience before we part? My last thought is the world needs you and your brilliance and the world needs you and your brilliance now more than ever. So it's important for you to shine your light. Fearless happiness is, is a choice. And so I love that you've taken that on and, and brought that to the world and, my reminder is always that 
if we don't step out and fully use our gifts and we don't fully do whatever we're called to do, then the world misses out. So go do whatever it is you're to do. Go shine your light. I couldn't agree more. Again, thank you so much for uh, coming in, being a guest. Um, you are amazing. Thank you, ma'am. I appreciate um, you. Thank you. <laughs> I appreciate you. Thanks everybody for joining us today. Again, say your last name, Lisa, because I don't want to, I always, I have a last name where people can't help but butcher it, but how do you say your last name? Platsky. That's what I thought. Platsky. You know what? See yeah. my, see my name there. Uh, the N I J S T. I do. I've had people uh-huh. put S K I on the end of that. I'm like, where did you get the S K I? It's Nace, not Nitsky. <laughs> But anyway, I just thought it's end that with that a little laughter. But thank you so much for being a guest. You are amazing, everybody. I'm sure you're on Amazon, correct? Oh yeah, I want to tell. So anybody wants to read her books, I'm taking that you're on Amazon. I am awesome. I Um, am, but they can just you know just reach out to me. I give send you a book. Do you hear that, everybody? See now. Like we say, FYE, and I won't say it on here in our group, she's not giving you any excuses. So if you want one of her books, just reach out to her. Thank you, Lisa, for being a guest. You're amazing. And I hope we get to chat soon again. Thank you. Thanks so much, Max.